Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, happy spring break. Yeah, it's different when you're a parent. When you're a kid, you're like, yeah, you're a parent. You're like, yeah, okay, yeah. Well, hey, if you're new, uh, welcome. You picked a great Sunday to be here. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. So welcome in the room and also online. We're so glad that you're here. And uh, I am, in fact, a pastor. And, and I don't know what your experience has been with pastors or with church. But for me growing up, I had a lot of assumptions about pastors. And uh, I also had some expectations, some mentioned and a lot of them unmentioned expectations of pastors. And see, maybe you can relate. When I was growing up in the church, uh, I heard phrases like um, uh, pastors were were called into ministry or they were called into the pastorate. And I'm telling you, as a little guy, I was like, they got a phone call from God. Like, no way. My mind was just, what did he sound like? You know, I just had all these wonders and just, this is incredible. And I thought like, I thought if you were a pastor, you, were, uh, you, you loved Jesus. Like there's people that love Jesus and then they sin a lot. You know what I mean? And then there's people that, that are really good Christians that sin a lot less. And then there's, there's pastors, <laughs> sinless. You know what I mean? Because pastors always talk about like, well, I used to struggle with that. Like I used to sin, you know what I mean? They're like, I don't do that anymore because I'm a pastor. Like it is the, it's the highest rung on the ladder. And so I thought if you really love Jesus, like you really love him, then, then you should be a pastor. And it's so funny being a pastor. And I think to some extent that assumption is still alive and well. So I, I don't want to disappoint you. I'm not that guy. <laughs> And you're like, no duh, we know that. Um, thank God Kurt is here, you know what I mean? Like Kurt, he's, he's that guy. Uh, but it's so funny because I think church people have expectations of pastors. They have all these, these certain assumptions of, of what they should say, what they shouldn't say, what they should do. And um, I usually don't meet those expectations. But not only do they have them in the church, it's funny people outside the church and their expectations of pastors and Christians and all of that. So uh, my wife has, has never, she's worked full-time her, her whole life. Um, she's never worked in the church. She's always done business outside of the church. And uh, it's so funny when people in her industry and in her office finally come to the realization, like they find out that she's a Christian. And it takes them a long time to figure it out because she's a ruthless sinner. I mean, <laughs> just kidding, I'm kidding. I, I said that first service and she was sitting right over there and like I could just feel like the eyes and just, she's shooting daggers with her eyeballs. Uh, no, no. The reason it takes people a while, sorry, babe, I love you. Uh, the reason it takes people a while to figure out she's a Christian is because she doesn't fit their stereotype of what it means to be a Christian. Um, she, she's not judgmental. She doesn't condemn them. Um, she's really good at her job and has earned a lot of respect and is able to go and speak in to people's lives. And she's not political in the office. She's not divisive. She's for the most part, she's kind, she's kind of normal, really. She's just a normal human being who's just in love with Jesus. And what's fascinating is because they, they don't know what to do with that because it doesn't fit their assumption of what a Christian is. And then to go next level with it, when they ask, what does your husband do? They're thinking, you know, he's in finance or he's selling insurance. And then she says, well, he's a pastor. Yeah, it's about that quiet after she says that. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And so uh, we, one of my favorite things is going to um, the office Christmas party with her. 
and just sitting down and hanging out with people because they have all these assumptions of, of who I am or what a pastor is or should be or is supposed to talk about and look like. And, you know, they picture me dressing super weird, being in the corner, just condemning like everything that they're doing. I'm like, those French fries, those, that, that's gonna lead you straight. Like, no, I just, I'm normal and just kind of hang out. But in, in everyday conversation with some of these people, inevitably, this question comes up right here. They always ask, how did you get into that? Because they're so curious. And it's fair, even if you're in the church, you can ask that question too. Like, how did you get into church? And I think they're being very polite and respectful because what I think they want to ask is this question right here. Why on earth (laughs) would you get into that? And how many of you know, those are two very different questions. And and so to answer that question is, um, I, I am fascinated with Jesus Christ. I think if you look all throughout history, there has never been a leader like Jesus. I think Jesus, when he bursts onto the scene, just the way he loves human beings, the way he would interact with cultural norms and standards and values, and he would go and switch them and make them upside down, which oddly enough, kind of feels right side up, doesn't it? Like it's supposed to be this way. Humans are supposed to love one another this way. And so he he was obedient to God. He went out of his way to go and heal and protect and to love and bring outcasts in society to bring them back into community. And I'm just fascinated with that. Then on top of that, and just who he is, his idea of how we should love one another, including our enemies, blows my mind. And then he says, not only should we love one another, but we should love God. And he demonstrates what that actually looks like. And then he says he is God, and he dies on the cross and pulls off Easter, which we're going to celebrate in a couple weeks, and actually pulls it off and does it. This is fascinating to me. And I think, I think... Well, I don't think, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that if human beings want to get the most out of this life here on earth, I think we get it by following Jesus. I'm just convinced of it. And so I thought as a young guy growing up in the church and then going off to college and doing, you know, Bible college and seminary and all this stuff, I had these these grandiose ideas that like the best way to start to help people understand all that Jesus came to do to this new life that we can have in him is I thought, I'll start in the church. Because in the church, we're all, at least we're all on the same page. Do you know what I mean? Like we all love Jesus. We all want to love one another. We come together and when someone corrects us because we're wrong, we're like, thank you very much. I humbly receive that word, <laughs> that rebuke. I feel better about that. I'm going to confess my sin to you in confidence. And I know you're going to share it with someone else, but I know it's not gossip. It's a prayer request. <laughs> the reason we're all laughing <laughs> is because we're not perfect people, are we? We kind of screw this up along the way. Um, the reason we're all laughing is because we've experienced something and it's, there's a cute little word to go and describe what we've experienced. It's not very cute, by the way, but it's the word church hurt. It's two words, church hurt. We've all had it to some degree. And if you haven't yet, stay tuned. <laughs> because you're bound to get hurt. And I have to acknowledge the fact that, okay, you have the church, you have people who, who love Jesus, who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, who want their lives to look like Jesus. And yet, in reality, we're not Jesus, are we? There's a gap in between there. And what is so dangerous is when we come in with assumptions and unmentioned expectations of how this is supposed to be a perfect place where we all respond like Jesus. And if someone doesn't respond like Jesus, I will have the spiritual maturity and insight to go and respond correctly like Jesus would respond. And and the truth of the matter is we're, we're messy people. 
We're broken people. We're sinful people, which is kind of why we gather on Sundays, isn't it? To remind ourselves that we are broken people. We still got a long way to go and we are definitely in need of a savior. Amen? Amen. And this, this is in fact the church and we have some church hurt with it. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it is gossip in the form of a prayer request. Sometimes it is unintentional. Can I just give a quick story that's probably impacted some of you? Um, I'm originally born and raised in California. I've lived here. This is the beginning of, of year three for me. This is a different culture than what I'm used to in Southern California. When I walk through the commons or Boulevard Park or anywhere and I'm walking and people go, hey, Steve, and I go, hey, and I keep going. In California, where I grew up, that is considered loving and respectful and very kind. (laughs) What I am since learning in Washington or Wacom, when you're walking this way and someone else is walking this way and they say, hi, Steve, and they stop, they want to have a conversation with you. In California, this is rude and very awkward. Like we're going places. Why are we, you're slowing us down. We have, we have things to do. If you want to talk, like let's, we'll schedule something. I don't, we don't have time for this. And so like we're going places. And I know that I have impacted some of you in the comments. You're like, hey, Steve. And I'm like, hey, cause I got my mind in my notes or I'm picking up my kids or, or whatever the case. And you're like, that guy, like why, huh? He's so rude. And I'm sitting here going, I didn't know. I thought that was the most loving thing to do. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is simply this. Why, why is there this thing called church hurt? I think it's because you and I are learning how to live our lives like Jesus. And the key word is learning. We are not perfect. We are going to screw this thing up. We worship and follow and devote our lives to a perfect God. But let's be honest, we are not perfect. We are in progress. We are learning to live this life like he would. And that takes time because we've got some bad habits to break. And not only that, we also jump to conclusions or make assumptions about people that are incorrect. Like, honestly, I'm not trying to be rude. I'd love to hang out and talk with you. I'm just in my own little bubble and just, you know, doing my thing. But if that was your experience, you'd be like, that guy, what? That's just one tiny example. Now pepper that in throughout everything that we do in church. Do you see how we could unintentionally hurt one another? And then we fold our arms and we go, oh, that guy. And then we're, we're bothered and we're hurt by it and rightly so. So we can go talk to someone else about it. And then we start talking and we start sharing. We go, yeah, that's right. And all of a sudden we, there's this weird divide that's going on. And it's simply because we just have different experiences growing up. And what we consider to be normal might actually not be normal. And by the way, the bigger the church, the more difficult this becomes because it's, it's far more diverse than just this single thing. It's really diverse. And I think it is beautiful, but let's be honest, it's a little bit messy. It is a little bit messy. And so I, I two reasons, there's more, but two reasons that I became a pastor is because um, I simply wanted to acknowledge this real thing called church hurt and say it, it, it is a real thing. And, and to simply say, um, sorry, from the bottom of my heart, but, but we, we are not perfect people. And so please don't look at us, the church, and think that our God is, is screwed up like we are. That's not the case. So I want to help church people understand that church hurt is a real thing, and I want to lessen it. I don't know if we can ever get away from it, because, you know, we're all kind of broken. But uh, I, I want to, surely we can lessen the impact of it. Are you with me? And then the second thing is, um, I wanted to help Christians understand what non-Christians feel when they step into the church community. Because there's a big divide there as well. You could say that we're speaking different languages. And all of this simply because I I believe Jesus 
is the greatest human being in the world. I think Jesus is the son of God. I think Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave and has taken on our sin. I think we are unconditionally loved. I think we are fully forgiven. And I think, I think everything that he said is true. And if he came to give us this full life, this abundant life, I want it. I want it. And I think our world wants it as well. So we do have to acknowledge a problem. Um, the church is not perfect. It's a little bit, it's a little bit broken. I do think it's beautiful. I think it's effective. And certainly it is God's plan A. There is no plan B. But we do have some growth. We, we could get better in a couple areas. So this morning, I want to look at three questions that we're going to answer throughout our time this morning. Three questions. The first one is this. What is the church? And we're going to look at the early church. So if you have a Bible, go to the book of Acts. And we'll pick it up in chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The second question is, what did they do? What did the early church actually do? And then number three, how do we lessen church hurt? How do we shrink that? So that is not such a common thing. As you're turning to Acts chapter one, briefly, I'll, I'll answer the first question here. What is the church? Our English word church is actually from a Greek word called ekklesia. Can you say ekklesia? Ecclesia. Here's the fascinating thing about Ecclesia. Ecclesia is a gathering of people. It is a called out assembly of people rallied or gathered under a unified purpose or identity. It is a called out group of people. So when Taylor Swift announces she's throwing a concert, what she is doing is she's hosting an Ecclesia. She is calling out her fans to come and assemble at the concert. Are you with me? Does this make sense? So when the church in Jesus name comes and gathers, that is our ecclesia. It is a gathering. Now, somewhere down the road, about 313 AD, Constantine legalizes Christianity, which means that Christians no longer have to hide. They can meet out in the open. They can meet in specific locations and they can do it week after week after week. See, Ecclesia is a movement. There is no home base. Certainly they meet in a stadium at Taylor Swift's concerts, but they don't stay there. That's not home, right? Because she goes to other places. And so when the church was born, it is this movement of people. It is a movement of God. And everyone is underneath this umbrella of Jesus Christ. And we're all unified under that identity of what it means to be a Christ follower and what it means to be the church, what our purpose is. When Constantine legalizes Christianity, it now moves from a movement to a location. And we have churches and we have steeples and open the door, there's all the people. That's what this is. So you fast forward, it gets translated into German. It becomes this word, Kirch, which sounds a lot like our English, church, our English word church. So over time, and by the way, I simplified hundreds and hundreds of years of church history. But over time, this gathering and this movement became a location that we now simply call the church. And it was never about buildings. It was never about geography. And it was never about property. It's about people. The movement of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. We meet in buildings. And praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. This is great. There's air conditioning. Are you with me? Like this, this is not bad. I'm not against meeting in buildings. I'm simply saying, if we think that Sunday morning is church, we've missed it. It's not a Sunday morning thing. This is a every day of the week thing, every hour of the day thing. This is a movement that people are gathering or assembling to move forward. This is, this is huge. So this is what the church is. Now, what did they do? This is fascinating. Are you in your Bibles? Acts chapter one, you with me? Okay, here we go. Deep dive. We're in this series, right? We just hit Jesus. Jesus has come onto the scene. Luke is writing about Jesus in his gospel called 
Luke, he writes a book called Acts, and it's the history of how the Holy Spirit is moving and the history of the church. So here's what he says, Luke, in, uh, in Acts chapter one, verse one. He says, in my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus begun to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many what? convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because they're, they're sitting there going, Lord, we're getting the Holy Spirit. This is incredible. Clearly, death doesn't have its grips on you. You pulled off resurrection. This is incredible. It's go time, baby. We're now a nation. We're going to overthrow Rome. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Not so much. It's different. Here's what he says, verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I love this verse. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid, hid him from their sight. And just like that, poof, gone. Sit tight, be still, just wait. Gonna give you a gift. You'll know. How will we know? Well, you're going to receive power. Well, what, what does that look like? Sit tight. And then, <laughs> I don't know how he did it. I don't know. I wasn't there. But he just, poof, he's up in the clouds. So fast forward a little bit to chapter two, right? The, uh, the apostles or the disciples, there used to be 12. There's now 11 because Judas killed himself. And so now we have to go, okay, we got to get 12. So they add a guy. Then you fast forward. There's this celebration called Pentecost. Uh, it's a Greek word, but it means 50. And this is... Um, this is celebrating 50 days after Passover. So you have this Jewish festival going on and you have Jews throughout all the known nations coming together in this one area, speaking different languages, having different cultural customs, but being Jewish. Fascinating about the coincidence of all this lining up. Acts chapter two, verse 36. Um, Peter's gonna give a, a sermon and it's funny because people are looking at him going, you, you sound like you're drunk, man which as a pastor, I think is insulting. And Peter goes, hey guys, it's not even nine o'clock. Like give us the benefit of the doubt. Because what had happened during Pentecost is they're getting up there and these, these things that look like fiery tongues are resting on the disciples and they're speaking the language of all these different Jews scattered around all these different nations. And they're sitting there going, how in the world are you doing this? Peter gets up and he gives a sermon. And at the end of this sermon, there's a question that I think is so profound. It is so incredibly important. So we'll pick it up. Acts chapter two, verse 36. This is Peter saying, he says, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's telling all the Jews, hey, the Lord you were looking for, the Messiah, the chosen one that was gonna come and save everybody, the savior, God, you killed him. How's that? for the end of a sermon. So they're terrified. They went, we've been waiting all these years, our family, our generations, we've been waiting forever for the Messiah. The Messiah has come and we killed him. 
We killed God. Now what do we do? It's a great question. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Four things right there. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. When many other word, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the, his message were baptized and about 3,000, say 3,000. 3,000 were added to their number that day. From the get-go, from the get-go, the church was large. 3,000 people are added that day. Did you catch the four things? This is the new life that you and I have in Christ. These are the four things that, that Peter was preaching and talking about. He said, you need to repent. You gotta repent. He said, baptism, gotta get baptized. Receive the forgiveness of sins. And then what's the fourth one? Do you remember? Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is fascinating to me because I think some of these words create um, a lot of angst and baggage inside of us. Like they're emotionally charged word. This word repent, I don't know what comes to your mind, but for me, it comes uh, preachers with really, really nice suits, looking very dapper, preaching a lot of like condemnation and hellfire and brimstone. And just for me, terrifying preaching of like, oh, it doesn't sound like God loves me. Like this is intense. Repenting is very simple. It simply means to rethink your thinking. So if I can illustrate it for you, I'm going this way, I'm thinking this way. And if I repent, what do I do? I go the other way. There's no emotional baggage to that. There's no shame and guilt. There's no, I've just, I've repented. I'm walking this way and I'm rethinking. Whoop, I'm gonna walk this way. And then watch, oh, I can repent. And then watch me again. I just repented. That's what it is. So here's how this works out. In this context right here, you have all these Jews who do not trust Jesus at all with their life. When they repent and find out who Jesus is, they now trust him with every aspect of their life. This is repentance. This is what this looks like. And you gotta be patient and com compassionate with all of us as we repent throughout our days of walking with Jesus Christ because we're gonna get some stuff wrong. Imagine you didn't trust anything about Jesus and all of a sudden you start to trust Jesus about things. You have to rethink everything. You have to rethink everything. This takes time. This takes a lot of energy and intentionality. Repentance is, is a big deal. Baptism, here's the second thing that these early Jesus followers were doing. Baptism, this is one of those commands that I, I think is kind of interesting, that Christians will walk with Jesus for years and years and years and not think about baptism. Uh, it, it's one of the instructions, we should be doing it. But um, this is something you don't have to pray about. Like, God, should I get baptized? The answer is yes, 100%. You, you don't have to pray about it. It's in your Bibles. You, you can read it. Uh, and in fact, if you're a Christian and you've been walking with Jesus and you haven't been baptized, here's your application. Are you ready? Take out your phone, scan the QR code in the seat in front of you, or if you're online, just jump to our website, go to the Connect card, and sign up to get dunked. It is just, it's an act of obedience saying, I, I identify with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm dying to my old way, and I'm living, I'm raised in a new life in Jesus Christ. That's it. And we're gonna hoot and holler and celebrate with you. It, it, it's wonderful. That's baptism. Number three, receive forgiveness. This is a big deal because when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you in fact have received forgiveness. But I think intellectually we have received forgiveness, but emotionally, I don't think we have. 
I don't know that Christians as a whole, I'm painting with broad strokes, so forgive me, as a whole understand and fully embody being fully forgiven. Because I think there's two words that trip us up. Guilt and shame. Guilt, I think, is very much just black and white. Um, You ran the red light or you didn't run the red light. You stole the cookie or you didn't steal the cookie. It's just, check that box. I'm guilty of this or I'm not guilty of this. Shame, on the other hand, I think is way more complicated. I think shame is an identity piece. See, it's not just I'm guilty of running the red light. Shame in my identity says I'm a horrible driver and should never drive again. All I do is screw up constantly. Now hear me out. I'm using candy bars and traffic lights to illustrate. Okay. But you, you and I know when we apply this to, to other areas, more significant areas in our life, into our marriages, into our addictions, all of a sudden guilt and shame become powerful, powerful tools of the enemy. And I'm sitting here saying guilty. Yeah, I may be guilty of the sin, but shame I think shame is from the pits of hell because my identity is not wrapped up in my sin. My identity is wrapped up in my savior and who he says about me. And as I read the good book, I come to the conclusion that I'm a child of God. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a chosen generation. I I think humanity, well, I think Christians should act like it. So when you come into church because you're weighed down by all the sin and the, the consequences of that sin, I get it. I totally understand. But when you come in like this, just heavy and weary, I, I, man, I, I don't think your posture ought to be like this. Get your head up. Smile a little bit. Why? Because you are unconditionally loved. You are fully forgiven. Live like it. You have a God that unconditionally loves you. This changes everything. Look, I know your life isn't perfect. Mine isn't perfect either. Trust me, just ask my wife. We're gonna have a conversation because I said she was a sinner in front of like a thousand people this morning, okay? I'm not perfect, but my God is, and he looks at me and he says, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What if we embodied that? What if we embodied that? See, the devil would want us to have nothing to do with that. But what if we woke up this morning before we sinned and we just went, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is who I am. I love to ask people, sinner or saint, which one are you? In fact, I I teach a little five-week class called The Starting Line. It's about getting started in, in your faith, in your journey with Jesus. And I love to pose the question because inevitably it's yes. But the vast majority is I'm a sinner. I'm more familiar with the sinner than I am with the saint. And I think that's backwards. I want to read two passages for you. And maybe if this is you, I I think this will be helpful. The first one is Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Pop quiz, how far away is the east and the west from one another? Can you measure that? It's a long way. He's removed it and he's separated to the point that they do not touch. Jeremiah 31, 34, no longer will he teach, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And check this out. For I will forgive, 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 forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So I'm going to separate from you your sins as far as the east is from the west. They will not touch one another. You cannot measure how far that is. And I will remember your sins no more. I will forget them. Why in the world would Christians walk around and carrying these things like it's a bag of honor saying, look at all these sins and I'm just gonna weigh this down because this is who I really am. If people really got to know me. That's not who we are. 
We're fully forgiven people. God forgets our sins. He separates them from forever. You and I as Christ followers, allegiant to him, I'm telling you, we have no business with that as part of our identity. We may be guilty of the sin. We may absolutely be guilty of the sin, 100%. But shame, I'm telling you, no room for Christ follower. And I think, I think part of some of our church hurt is we have not been able to reconcile guilt and shame and forgiveness. We have a hard time understanding how all that works together. And I wonder, I wonder if we fully believed that, what would happen to our community? What would happen to the world? They did four things. After this, they received the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to talk about it because um, later we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit. So stay tuned for that. But here's what this, this early church did. Check this out. You might be familiar with this. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. The next verses are going to expand on this. And as I start reading through these, if you're starting to think, oh, that sounds a lot like small groups. Ding, 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 ding. You are correct. Check this out, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So the early church, all 3,000, they're gathering together, they're learning from the apostles. The New Testament had not been written, but they had the apostles who walked and talked with Jesus for three years. They have stories to share. They're learning from them. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So number two, what did they do? They cared for each other. They cared for one another. They were unified in who Jesus was and they shared resources to bless other people. Verse 46, every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They had fellowship. They gathered every day. They shared meals together. They took communion together and they ate with glad and sincere hearts. Pop quiz, why do you think their hearts were glad? Because they met together. And there was food. <laughs> Praise the Lord, there's food. Okay, fourth one right here. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Number four, prayer and worship. And, and don't think of worship as only um, singing songs. Think of worship as a lifestyle devoted to Jesus, giving honor and glory to Jesus in the way that we live and all the things that we say, think, and do. This, this is what small groups do. This is, this is what the early church did. This is what we do in our small groups. We gather together. We eat food together. We learn from the apostles' teachings. We read the scriptures, right? The New Testaments. But this is what we do. This is how they grew. And it says that they lived in such a way that God was adding to their number daily. And I wonder, I think, like I said, I think the church is the hope of the world. I think it's plan A. There is no plan B. And I think we need to live in such a way that the world looks at us and goes, whoa, this is not about building. This is not about land. This is not about geography or websites. This is about Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. So I, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you walked in to church with. I don't know what you online Maybe some of you are afraid to walk into church, which is why you're keeping it at arm's length online. I'm glad, I'm glad you're here with us online. I just know that a lot of us have a lot of shame and guilt that we bring in here to this place. I think there's some of us, there are sin in our lives that we do not repent from because we like it. 
I think Jesus would look at us and say, it's weighing you down. It is not setting you free. I think some of us, we need to get baptized. And we are afraid that if we get baptized and we publicly confess and display to the world that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, we know that there's gonna be tension in some of our relationships, maybe even in some of your families. We receive the Holy Spirit, but some, if we're honest, not quite sure what to do with that. How do I process that? What, what does that even mean? I go throughout my day and I, I kind of forget that God is here. And I'm saying, when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's not that God is just here in this place. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. We gotta learn about that. We have to process that. We, we have to have conversations about that. Some of us, we've been going to church forever and we do not feel forgiven. We feel full of shame and guilt. And I don't know out of all those where you're at, but I think there's gotta be at least one of those, right? I think there's one. And I wonder what would happen if we gave that and we confessed it and we laid it at Jesus' feet and we said, God, would you help? Would you help? Some of us, we've been at this for a while and, and we've, we've done some, some good work and we've come a long, long way. And if we're honest, some of us, we need to grab other people by the hand and show them the way as well. Some of you, I'm just gonna flat out say it, some of you, you need to lead a small group. You have something to give and other Christians need your wisdom. They need to hear from your success. They also, by the way, need to hear from your failures and how Jesus once again has saved you. Your marriage, your career, relationship with your children and you need to go and lead other Christians this way. We need to gather like the early church this whole idea of church hurt, I'm telling you, we need to minimize this thing because it is hurting our witness to the outside world. And not just outside, but some of us as well. There are things that some Christians will hold on to that are a decade old. And I'm telling you, it's time to resolve that. It has no place. It has no place. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're, we're gonna take communion. So I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. And as they lead us in worship, I wanna invite each and every one of us, I'll be doing this as well in the front row, to come before the Lord and repent and simply say, God, there is some sin in my life that I am holding on to tightly and I have not yet given it up to you. We need to repent of that. Some of us, again, this idea of forgiveness, we know it intellectually, but we just, we have not felt it in our soul, in the depths of our being. And my hope is during this song, you'll sit there and you'll pray with Jesus and he'll begin to show things inside of you. And I also hope that those of us that call Jesus Lord and Savior of our lives, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We'll pay attention to those nudgings, to those leadings, those things, those areas in life where we have conviction, those areas in life, those things that God would have us say and do to other human beings, maybe people that we're even sitting next to. So I want to invite all of us to take the time, the gift of time during this song to come before the Lord and to say, search me, Father, know me, reveal to me the things that are broken so that I can live freely in your grace, your mercy, and in your love. So Father, would you speak to us in this moment? Your people have gathered. We want to hear from your Holy Spirit. Father, we confess our sin to you. We repent. Would you show us a better way? Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and his death on the cross, the forgiveness of our sins, and him conquering death. May each of us continue to walk in this new life that he has made available to us.
We pray it in Christ's name, amen.